Welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover their leadership style and its influences, how they stay sharp, and their tips for leaders to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a better leader by learning from others. What I try to do best I can is put together and pull some times that are meant to be sort of one-on-ones. And even if they're a little bit shorter, I try to turn off other things and so that I'm fully focused on that individual and what they're sharing with me at that time. Now, let me just say that I am like not always very good at that. That's Shailen Simmons, CEO of LogicMark and an early leader in AI and the Internet of Things. In this episode, Shailen talks about what she means by kindness leadership, being a futurist as part of managing career transitions, the value of code switching and thinking like a startup and a large company, why vision fit is more important to her than culture fit, misunderstandings with AI and its human dimension, and finding time to focus on others and self-heal. Shailen, thank you so much for joining me today for this manageable conversation. Thank you for inviting me, Farley. I'd love to start with your take on your leadership style. I've always thought of myself as somebody who is a little bit closer um, of an amalgamation between servant leader and something I call sort of a hodgepodge of kindness leadership. And so that means to me, the sort of amalgamation of those two things is that putting my employees, putting my customers at the center of everything that we do. My job, I've always thought as a leader, was to basically hire people way smarter than me and basically clear any boulders and issues and the path that they need to sort of um, get ahead on. And that's my job job, right? For success, to let people do what they're extremely good at, to lead them with some level of kindness, knowing that they're human and they're fallible. And so that we don't sort of rat hole into what the problems are, but look for solutions. And so my job is the sort of boulder lifter, row clear, you know, and does not mean, of course, that kindness leadership does not equal weak leadership or less quantitative leadership, right? The reality is, is that if you don't hit the numbers, you don't hit the numbers and that's not, you know, your employee's not doing well there, right? Or they're not able to produce and deliver, despite of however roadblocks you can actually remove out of their way, then they're just not a person who can actually take that path with you, right? Nothing wrong with them, but they're just not the person that is meant to lead that path and walk that path with you um, as part of the team. And so I think when you look at that from that respect, that makes things a lot easier because you're always looking for the best people who is willing to go on a journey and your job is to clear the path for them for success and always put them in the middle towards that success. Who's inspired you to be more like this and and maybe even others um, who've inspired you not to be like them? Tragically, I lost a mentor and sponsor and friend, um, a gentleman named Robert Acker. Um, he was one of the first that I saw that really tried to put his team and highlight their skill sets and allow them to basically be somebody who can be very successful under him and clearing the path. And so that was one of the first times I really saw that. Um, I would say that early in my journey, I'd had worked for somebody named William Holtzman. And he was always somebody who actually gave me a very good advice, which is young managers are successful um, when they are in fast growth companies or in a turnaround. So that's when you could really learn the most. So be not afraid to embrace those opportunities because oftentimes, you know, considering how rocky and difficult things may be in any company, you know, people may shy away from things that are, but be risk averse, right? And so I felt like he was somebody who actually taught me to embrace risk, um, to take on risk to basically both sort of further my career, but most importantly, at the young, as a young manager at the time, to actually use that as a learning experience. And so they really highly influenced the way that I think about what my leadership um, should be and how I should help um, my team members think about 
you know, leadership as well. This point you've just made, Shailen, about uh, risk, risk taking, does that have any uh, relevance for the amazing diversity of, of roles and firms that you've worked for? What's informed your choices and decisions? I will say that I think of myself a little bit as a bit of a futurist in many ways. I am a believer in what Wayne Gretzky always says, which is he doesn't skate to where the puck is, he skates to where the puck is going to be. So when I take an eye towards taking on leadership roles at the different companies I've been at, I take a look at, you know, is there something with, about this company that is taking them to where people need to be or will going to be getting to? And gauge how early I am in that process in terms of being able to help them. I'm very much a person who believes in building new products. And so I inform product shaping um, with bringing sort of, you know, a marketing perspective to it, right? I'm not an engineering trained product person. And so I actually come out of marketing. And so that allows me to infuse my customers' interests and goals and where their futures look like into everything I build. And so that helps me then look at the companies I would pick. It really also then informs why I took this particular job um, at LogicMark because there is not a lot of apparent sort of like fit. Um, I came out of an AI company. Prior to that, I was at Google running you know, a fairly big business around of all things like music and apps and entertainment and all of those kinds of things, right? So why would somebody like that, even with an AI background, go into a company that's basically the I fall and I can't get up business? So that's not, that's not seemingly a natural fit. I am a believer in taking chances, but taking strategic risks. This company looked like it was in a perfect storm of opportunity. Demographically speaking, close to one in four Americans, you know, we're going to be 65 and over. Um, one in four 65 and over Americans um, experience a fall. But we also coupled that with an industry that really technology-wise has not shifted since those days of the 1980s fall and I can't get up advertising big ginormous buttons that look like they're um, very large garage opener. Doesn't mean that there's no space for that because you cannot underestimate how much people love to push a button, a physical button. And so, you know, I learned that like there are people who love that. And then there are people that we're going to help graduate into a more, I would call it iPhone S experience versus a Razor phone experience, right? Um, and you need to start that journey and help them think that way. But this is an industry that's right for that, right for disruption, because it's not technically made up usually by tech companies who are steeped in AI, looking at fall detection with an eye towards like finesse. An AI, um, and certainly not one that is IoT, as IoT connected as it could be in a world when everything seems to be connected to a sensor, right? So you've got people who are aging, you've got people who have not innovated the industry, and then couple that with the fact that for, I don't know about you, Farley, but I myself am a sandwich generation person. I have kids that I, you know, children, I have older family members that I need to take care of. And so that's really one in three millennials and more than half of Gen Xers. And so we're, our expectations is that everything can happen and we can find all the data on the touch of a phone, except for helping our elderly loved ones. All of those things seem like it's a given, but it's not one that the industry really embrace. And it's because I think that there's a lot of technical concerns or lack of capabilities within the particular industry. And so that's what we're really trying to bring that level of sensibility to a very, very, I think, market that's been static, very static market. 
What about the other perspective of the firm hiring you? You know, what was their context? You know, what do you think led them to get you on board? I mean, I was not a seeming fit because, again, I didn't come from healthcare or medical devices in any way, shape, or form. And I do think that really part of the risk that the board took was the in, you know the industry and the company needed a, needed a very hard reboot, and it needed a with somebody who has experience sort of running the gamut of running a angel funded startup all the way to multiple billion dollars. Um, and they needed somebody who was going to come with a fresh outlook on where the industry needed to be. And so when you're typically in a company that's in hyper growth, or you're in a company that is looking to pivot or extend into a new sort of division, I think the qualities that you're looking for in a leader is somebody who can do really good quantitative qualitative risk assessment, but also has, you know, honestly, the gut check to be able to sort of do that work. And oftentimes, those two things don't always come together, um, because you're not typically looking, you know, your executives don't always come from a blend of startup and more traditional companies. And so sometimes they bring in people who are only startup people to try to disrupt a very big company, and that cultural clash becomes problematic. But as we're seeing sort of the maturation of the industry sort of move along, you see a lot more executives like myself, where we've had freedom both sides of the world, both startups as well as more established companies. And so we bring that sort of level of sensibility to basically code switch. Um, when the application of you know, more traditional, more corporate sort of decision-making needs to occur, and then when the more, oh boy, this is a startup moment and you, know, you need to sort of make some decisions with very, very incomplete data and sometimes with a little bit less, honestly, potential to project as one need to, and then you're basically making a assessments based on things that are more tangential or adjacent to the decision that you're making. And so that's what startup people do. And so I think what they saw was somebody who is really adept at basically code switching between those two different types of hat wearing. Based on all of your experience and your background, what tips would you have for aspiring leaders or those who are leading now but want to raise their game and maybe be future-proof, taking advantage of your interest in trying to read the future? So a couple of things. I mean, I'm not perfect and I'm making lots of mistakes and all the time. One thing that I definitely took from um, Google that I really firmly believe in is hire slow, fire fast. I'm not always sure that a very good job in that. We definitely try. I think that's important because ultimately you're looking for a fit. And I don't mean like, I think those terms called cultural fit is like really kind of BS. What I'm looking for is vision fit, right? Are you really aligned on like where the vision of this company is? Or do you have a completely different vision of where things need to be, whether or not that be product or customer support or um, marketing or anything of that nature. And it's not necessarily that you have, we all have to agree with each other, like a family, like no one's in perfect agreement all the time, but fundamentally the core value of those things can't be different, right? If you're not a believer in putting sort of, you know, people at the center of our products, then you're not a good fit. If you don't believe that our MPS score should always be high because we will do everything we can. And I mean, everything, literally, I think somebody called us about how she felt outside gardening and when she fell her device popped off of her and as it happens a squirrel came ran and took off with it 
And let me tell you, I was like, we absolutely just shipped her a new product because this is a customer that has needs and, you know, that's quite a story. And so we want her as well as a squirrel to be protected. Um, and she, you know, came back to us and she wanted to be a repeat customer with us and she wanted to stay with our service. And so, you know, we were going to do everything we can to protect her when she has falls. Even something as crazy far-fetched as, yes, that squirrel kind of ran away with something. <laughs> so it's a funny story, but we also believe that that's our customer support level. Look, I mean, and I'll be honest, 99% of the people are amazing and they're not, you know, when we service them, like they have problems that we're trying to solve. And this is obviously an outlier, but we also try to look at our customer service as, for example, something that even we take care of some of our more outlier customers because we're customers focused. So those things are important. So if you're not aligned to that, then you're not a good fit for our company. So I think if we spend a lot of time in upfront, making sure that we're really mission aligned, dedicated, you know, in terms of the kind of mission that we're running against um, with the company, then it's going to take time. And it's kind of very contrary to being a startup where you try to hire as quickly because you're trying to grow very quickly. But it gives you time to have to terminate people. And don't get me wrong, we, we've we had to, you know, and we've had people who didn't fit um, from alignment. And again, I always go back to the doesn't mean that those people aren't amazing leaders or amazing employees of any type. They're just not aligned or that their practices didn't align with where we wanted to go. And so particular instance, that's, I think that's a very crucial aspect of actually trying to build a good team and what you're trying to constantly sort of guard for as a leader. Thinking about the future of work, you know, there's a lot of talk about automation, AI, the ongoing challenges of remote hybrid working. Do you see anything that managers and leaders today should raise their game on as soon as possible in order to be fitter for a, f a future that we can't predict, but I guess we know that certain things are very likely to continue and certain things are likely to accelerate. What do you think of that, Shailen? I think your question kind of speaks to multiple different things. And so first, I'll just talk a little bit about AI. It's very difficult. I mean, look, I, I work in AI with patents in AI um, that I, you know, file with my name on it. So I obviously am a believer in AI. I love Terminator as a movie, so, but I don't see Skynet over anytime soon, but I am in a business Yes, I'm delivering AI. And what I find is actually interesting is that there is more need actually of people, even as we're developing AI. It's because, you know, junk in, junk out when it comes to AI. AI is as flawed or as perfect or as good um, as what human thought and capacity can be. But the kind of things that we put into it, one of the dirty little secrets of AI ML is that in order for those things to learn, and even for generative AI, that sort of set of data have to be tagged, they have to be analyzed, they have to be inputted so that AI can learn. I mean, now with generative AI, then once they've made those decisions analysis, they can learn from itself, right? But and if we think about generative AI, it's a lot like being a person that's growing up, like a child growing up. So you get your inputs and you're constantly learning and reflecting and experiencing and then reiterating again, but you don't do it with an, a vacuum. You're constantly actually having to input data to make that happen. You constantly have to evaluate experiences and the definition of those experiences is influenced by people and environment. And so that's speaks in many ways of why like AI will always and should be um, human centric. Now, future work is a very interesting thing. We're a fully remote company. Um, I want to say that it was fully remote before I came on board because it was COVID. And so what we've learned is that, you know, I think that there is a lot of concerns about, 
you know, what it means to be hybrid. And I think a lot of the ideas here is forcing people to go back to the office hybrid part-time. And so the way that I look at it is controversial or not controversial as it may be, I do believe in a hybrid model. And I don't mean the way that some of the larger companies are implementing it today, which is you must show up at the office like twice a week. And then we'll be looking for that and pick your two days, but like you should do that. I'm a believer in that. Look, you know, I do think that there's a spark and a dynamic of people being together in a room and brainstorming together and having coffee by the cooler or whatever they need to do to sort of spark their imagination, build relationships, um, smooth things over, learn from each other. That is very valuable that when you're just in a Zoom, it's a little bit harder to do, even if you're doing a little Zoom gathering with your own sort of like wine flights and peanuts and you're doing it together on Zoom. I've done a lot of that during Zoom with my best friends. And so, but that would have been more difficult had we never really met in person. Right. And so for a lot of these remote companies, we're hiring people remote immediately. And so I am constantly looking for ways to, I would say, kind of try to regularly pod people together, you know, around a focus and then allowing them that dynamic and also some freedom of time to basically collaborate and work and think together in person. And so I like, you know, we try to encourage, for example, you know, sales and marketing to all meet in Los Angeles together for, you know, three days. And they spend time to, with each other, you know, have a sort of set of dynamics of things that they're trying to discuss and manage and solve, but also be able to spend some of that free time together and go out and, you know, have a meal together. Or, you know, I believe one of my um, co-workers had never been to San Francisco. So one of his, her fellow co-workers took her on a trolley and, you know, the Lombard Street thing and had it an in and out. She's from Boston. And so that really helps solidify the relationship they had, a shared experience together. And that made, I think, their working relationship um, better because they sort of had that human interaction with each other. It doesn't mean that they need to show up at the office both at different times, you know, just so people could count your faces, right? I actually would almost rather that like maybe the entire marketing team shows up together like on Tuesday and they sort of like say Tuesdays are a day and then they show up and they can interact with each other or Tuesdays and is a sales and marketing and we are going to sort of make this our day together, right? And versus, you know, the way that I'm seeing it today where, you know, some of the corporations, you know, they'll say you have to check in twice in the office. And so you go in and nobody on your team is there, but you're sitting there doing the same thing you're doing every day on Zoom, but you're physically in the office. And so I think that that's not very helpful for people growth. And, you know, certainly it's not great for the company. Turning to you, Shailen. Quite a lot of the leaders that I coach or indeed interview for this podcast are slammed. They are some variant of manic and it has its toll. They're either just frazzled, super stressed, perhaps not as present as they could be because every meeting they're thinking about the next meeting or they're, they're never in any conversation because they're so busy. And I, I'd love to get you know your take on how is being CEO and if there is pressure, as I have no doubt. What sorts of things help you cope? So that is a great question. And I think it's a very interesting one. You know, we teach all our kids now um, in college and in business school and all of those places that your interest is to be your own boss and to be an entrepreneur and to sort of start your own business, do your side hustle, do all of those things. And I get it. But it does, it, it does sort of present, you know, if you're a CEO in a world, to your point, like that is what I constantly, constantly do. I'm multitasking almost always, right? And it actually doesn't always produce the single 
best results necessarily because you're minus half there because you're thinking about something else that needs to happen. And I think there's a natural piece to that because you're always, your job is to orchestrate. You know, one could argue that theoretically orchestra, you know, conductors don't do anything because for God's sakes, they don't play an instrument and they don't produce the beautiful music, but their job is to orchestrate and bring and weave those things together. So you're constantly, your brain is constantly multitasking because you're trying to thread everything together in a perfect form as best as you can get to a perfect form. And so that multitasking can be very exhausting. What I try to do best I can is put together and pull some times that are meant to be sort of one-on-ones. And even if they're a little bit shorter, I try to turn off other things and so that I'm fully focused on that individual and what they're sharing with me at that time. Now, let me just say that I am like not always very good at that, but I try to be conscientious of doing that because I think that's part of the kindness practice as well is that everybody's deserving of, especially if you're going to carve out 30 minutes of your full attention. Right. And I gotten great feedback in business school that how important that is, you know, to be able to look people in the eye and really listen and focus. Certainly my background of like being an immigrant, I'm always trying to listen and trying to understand and decipher. So being able to be truly focused is really crucial. Balancing stress. I think CEO jobs are very, very difficult. I think it's a lonely job. You're a coach, so you can understand. Um, probably you're a coach and therapist, right? So because we can't always share those with our team members, and you certainly cannot share that with your board, you know, and so there is a balancing act. It's a very lonely job um, because you're always thinking about things, and there's it's things that you can't share um, because, you know, of the nature of what you do. And so you try to manage stress best you can by looking for times like fully sort of devote to things that have nothing to do with what you do every day. Not always easy, but I try. Um, so this past semester, I took a class and I basically had been a singer in high school. I loved, loved singing. And so daughter was joined a choir um, freshman year. And I thought, boy, I missed that. That creativity, the musicality, the way that it, you know, helps you sort of be a little bit freer. So I took a class at the local community college. So two and a half hours every Monday night, I think about nothing but something else. And it does help me heal a little bit. And I sort of really recommend people to sort of set aside some time every week to do that. And it's a balance, right? Because you, that, that two and a half hours is time that I don't spend with my family. I don't spend it on work, but it is just for me to self-heal. It's worth every minute of it because it was important to me as a person coming up and it was like a little hole missing. So I felt like I needed to do something different that has nothing to do again with tech. So just a bunch of people sitting in a room and trying to weave something pretty together. Shailen, I wanted to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I want to thank you for inviting me, Farley. It's so great to chat with you.